Welcome, Welcome to X-Rated. Rated. I'm Matt Fisher. I'm Ryan Whedon. And we are two guys that used to date, and now we don't. Now we talk about movies, and that's the podcast. Yeah. The the logo is just, say what the product does. Yeah. <laughs> we should just uh, maybe change it from, from, you know, two guys who used to date, uh, now they're talking about movies, to X-Rated, what the product says and does. <laughs> I feel like that's less catchy than what we have now. Yeah, yeah. At least before it's like X because we used to date. Get it? <laughs> I hope people get it. I feel like when when I say it to people, they get it. I don't know if when they like read it, like the, if mm. it makes sense to them. But mm-hmm. I thought it was clever when you pitched it to me. <laughs> if we were to do like a video thing uh, or like a video promotion of this, it would have to be like us. Like a picture of us, and then like a little crack that splits apart, and then like, and mm-hmm. then out of that crack where the pictures slide apart comes the logo. <laughs> is 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 this the uh, the opening shot to our sitcom? Mm-hmm. <laughs> where we used to date, now they don't. X-rated movies. <laughs> Where it's you serving drinks, and then you look at the camera and like put your hands on your hips and smile. And yeah. <laughs> if I had long hair, I could blow it out of my my eye. <laughs> uh, me with my suspenders and tucked in shirt, slick back hair, which is, of course, how I look all the time. <laughs> you could be pulling your hair out at one point, just <laughs> oh, these numbers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a balance sheet. It's supposed to balance. (laughs) Netflix, we're doing all the work here. You can just throw (laughs) us the money. We've got it. We've got this. Seriously, we'll use the full house set. Like, (laughs) I know a guy. We don't need unique sets. His name's Dave Coulier. (laughs) He can help. Cut it out. (laughs) Oh, Matt, do you realize that this is our 70th episode? God, we are... Like deep into senior citizen territory here. Seriously, I once got an AARP membership card sent to me in the mail saying we our records show that you're at retirement age. It kind of hurt my feelings a little bit. I, I got one once that asked me to renew my AARP, and it was like oh. on my birthday. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> you gotta get, you gotta jump on that. You get that that discount at Denny's, and uh... <laughs> God, I'd use the shit out of that discount. <laughs> senior citizen. I don't know why people badmouth Denny's. Moon's over my hammy. Great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My dad is a senior citizen, and he loves using that. Like at the movies, or any anytime you get a senior discount, he goes, two senior citizens, please. <laughs> and my mom gets really embarrassed and kind of like hides her eyes. But uh, he's he's a loud and proud senior citizen. Hey, if he's made it this far. Yeah. Just shout it out. You know, wear it like you're proud, I guess. I guess. With the... Senior pride flag just be varying colors of gray. <laughs> uh, I feel like it should be a sunset. Yeah. <laughs> <gasps> this is going to make me sound like a monster. <laughs> Go on. When my, when my great-grandmother was in a convalescence center, God, just, <laughs> there was a picture of like, the sign-in in the lobby... And it was sort of a, a transitional photo of a baby with like various images to it being an old woman. Uh-huh. And the caption below it said, 
the sun setting is no less beautiful than the sun rising. (laughs) (laughs) Boy. And I was like, oh, God. Why do I feel like a monster for reading that? (laughs) That's hard because, you know, somebody made that graphic and probably had really genuine intentions behind it. For the record, I'm not saying that, like, old people are unattractive or unwanted or anything like that. It was it was just the sentiment that like people needed to have this picture as they walked into a convalescent center to reassure them that I felt so demoralizing. Yeah. Where I was just like, really? Do we need to pander to these people who are like here for comfort care? I I don't know. I've I'm not in that situation. <laughs> I don't know what I'm gonna need at that point. I feel like if I was like in that situation, I'd just get pissed off at that picture. <laughs> You, like, knock it over as you come in. Yeah, like, if, if I was at, like, the point where it's, like, you know, we just need to make him comfortable now, I'd be like, all right, I'm getting all the prostitutes I can handle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to live like I'm dying. How many prostitutes can I get for this much money in my bank account? Uh, sir, we don't accept Confederate dollars. <laughs> well, what have I been sitting on them for? It just seemed really depressing. I was like, I don't know. I feel like that would bum me out more than it would like lift my spirits if I was in that situation. For sure. I spend a lot of time doing things at night, and my night uh, life time is just as exciting as when it's daytime. So guess what? Sometimes life starts at sunset. So I was going to say you're going to have a rough sundowning period is what you're telling me. Mm-hmm. It's just like you wake up at 7 p.m., so you have 90 minutes of daylight. Yep. Wow, your significant others are going to have quite a handful on their uh, plate, aren't they? Yeah, that convalescent home is not going to know what to do with me. (laughs) Mr. Whedon, we've talked about this. No making techno after nine. (laughs) Mr. Whedon, we told you, karaoke's only on Tuesdays. (laughs) Turn around. (laughs) No, this is my mic. I brought it here. (laughs) You can't take that from me. <laughs> wow. Now that we've thoroughly alienated our <laughs> our senior our, demographic. Yeah. <laughs> Who am I kidding? Old people don't know what podcasts are. Uh, one of my good friends once said, uh, as we were walking past a bookstore, like I think it was Half Price Books. This is in 2003, I think. <laughs> okay. She goes, I don't know how bookstores stay around. Like, who reads anymore? Except for old people. But that's only because they don't know what video games are. <laughs> And another friend of mine turned that saying into a bookmark (laughs) and put her face on it. And now they sell them on Etsy? Yes. (laughs) I'd buy one. Yeah, for sure. This is episode 70. Yeah. And that means it's a... Seven zero. And uh, this time around, we're focusing on a director that we both love. Yeah. One by the name of Mr. Greg Araki. I think that's how you pronounce his name. I'm pretty sure. Okay. It might be Greg Gaga. He's, he's yeah. got the 3G, yeah. Greg. Oh, my God. Do you think that, like, Savage Love, once he saw that, he's like, 
<laughs> you can't spell Greg without GGG. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but today we watched two movies as chosen by our Wheel of Chance from That's last right. week. right, yeah. I don't think we fully went into what was on the Wheel of Chance, but I think there was a picture of it, right? Did we post a picture? We will. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, it could have been it could have been either of these two movies, but it also could have been uh, Doom Generation. The Doom Generation. Kaboom was on there, and Mysterious Skin. And Mysterious Skin. But fate spoke for us, mm-hmm. and we got nowhere. And the Living End. Yeah. The only two Greg Araki movies that I haven't seen. I mean, Kismet. Yeah. Love it. No, if I could have handpicked two movies off that list, it would have been those two. I was rooting for Nowhere because it's actually one of uh, the first movies I thought of when we started this podcast. Oh, okay. So I was rooting for that one. And then the rest, I was like, let, let the fates decide. Okay. I'm pretty happy, actually, with our two choices. I am, too. Not necessarily because I think these are brilliant films. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I like their existence. Sure. Oddly enough, this is our third third double feature featuring directors mm-hmm. and all the double features focusing on directors have been gay directors right we did uh episode 10 was with joel <laughs> we should never speak of it again <laughs> joel schumacher <laughs> gay but in a odd quadrant odd quadrant is a great name for a band <laughs> like a mathy doom band anyway Episode 40 was our Pedro Almodovar double feature. Indeed, yeah. And here we are, episode 70, doing Greg Araki. Kind of the synthesis of those two. Uh, in a way, I mean, Joel Schumacher doesn't make gay movies necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not exactly happy to have him on my team, I guess, is, <laughs> is what I'm saying okay. with Joel Schumacher. Uh-huh. I don't think that he's really bringing anything to sort of queer cinema or queer perception in the mainstream's eye. Like, sure. He's, yeah, there's the one movie with Philip Seymour Hoffman that's got like the gay character in it that kind of does it a little bit, but he doesn't do it enough that I would really call him like a queer director sure. in, in any significance. I'm with you. And Pedro Almodovar, of course, like all his movies have either like gender fluid or very fluid sexuality based characters. But I feel like his movies are made classically, I guess. Yeah. Plot driven, traditionally shot and and made movies. Mm -hmm. Where Greg Araki really feels like this is like someone born and raised on the fringe making fringe movies for social outsiders yeah for the fringe yeah because it's like while he may be making movies for gay people or queers in general these are minorities within a minority Mm -hmm. so it's like these are you know these movies are not necessarily for alternative queers but it's definitely like not your mainstream taste no one's watching Will and Grace in a Greg Araki movie. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Or even like RuPaul's Drag Race. You know, like it's just not there. That's one thing that I, while I was watching this, like, okay, clearly all of his characters were like born watching MTV. But I also get the feeling like they were aching for like the new wave fad to be over or like the, the glam metal phase to be over and something else to take its place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had MTV just on all the time growing up, but like they were waiting for 
a different thing to fill the airwaves. Yeah. I mean, especially these, these films that we watch today, they have that Gen X vibe to them. Yeah. And that like early to mid 90s feel. Oh, yeah. Especially Nowhere. Well, like we were talking about with Schizopolis, where it's like this movie doesn't hold any n- uh, nostalgic value necessarily, but because it encompasses like the feel and the look of mm-hmm. the 90s so much that I feel nostalgic while watching it. Oh, that's interesting. Because I'm the exact opposite. I have oh. very strong nostalgic feelings for specifically Nowhere and also a little bit The Living In. So I, I had a tough time stepping outside of those feelings to think about these movies objectively. We'll get into it later, but okay. um, especially Nowhere was really tough. Oh, okay. So. Yeah, I'd never seen either movie before. Okay. So. Which one do you want to start with? Um, I watched Nowhere first, but I'm open. Either way, I uh, kind of feel like getting the living end out of the way. Okay. So, full disclosure before we go any further, I should mention that uh, I am an HIV positive person. Uh, you know this, Matt, mm-hmm. and I don't know how many of our listeners know it, so I feel like I need to come out of that closet mm-hmm. publicly real fast. Mm-hmm. I've been, I found out 10 years ago. Okay. It was 2008 when I found out, and it was a different world from what the world that the movie set in then and it's a very different world from when the movie was set in now Mm -hmm. and i feel like i'm a little bit of an authority on it at this point so i feel comfortable (laughs) talking about this movie yeah do you remember when you told me no Uh, do you yeah because it wasn't that long ago (laughs) we were talking off mic about organ donation oh okay so this was like a year ago oh my god and you brought it up you're like oh yeah i have organ donor on my you know driver's license but i was like maybe i should like you know double check being hiv positive on all and like that was how i found out oh man (laughs) (laughs) i didn't realize yeah so i was like and at first i thought you like misspoke or something so i just kind of let you go and i was like "Mm, i'm just gonna not bring it up <laughs> i was like i feel like if i brought it up i'm like i'm just gonna make this all about me yeah and i don't want to do that it's a yeah and he clearly thought i already knew <laughs> it's funny it got to a point like because there was like a moment when i kept you know i had to like tell every friend like mm-hmm. sit them down and hold their hands and it was like coming out all over again but like you had to hold their hands well some of them but like why it, it happened to you not to them <laughs> People, everyone cries. Almost everybody cried. And see, that's exactly what I didn't want to do. I was like, I don't want to make this a fucking scene. <laughs> like, it. I mean, every almost every time. But it's like, it got to a point after you know a few years of it. It's like, have I told this person? I can't yeah. remember anymore. So I just sort of like pretended I've told everybody at this point. Mm. And um, so, oh my god, if there's anybody who's listening who doesn't know, I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's 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 a strange it's a strange world that this so specifically the living end. I watched it about 15 years ago, I think was the last time I saw it, maybe a little more than that. And I remember feeling like uh AIDS movie, you know, mm-hmm. it was like just part of the that whole new queer cinema that's like always focuses on that that you kind of like get bored of after a while, especially in the late 90s. And it was just, you know, none of it was reflecting my experience and so i was like oh gregoraki this will definitely do it and just remember feeling like i like the movie but still not feeling that crazy about it this time around however i was like well, this is actually the best like oh. of these movies that i've that i've seen and uh really 
thinking that as a statement, like an artistic statement, especially about HIV and the HIV experience, it was really good. Well, I would imagine that it would sort of, because it's not like just people like wallowing in self-pity, like most of movies about like uh, being HIV positive is, it's like, this kind of takes the opposite route where it's like they're kind of filled with like, I mean, the movie critic in the movie isn't necessarily like filled with like an just anger or rage, fresh. but yeah, <laughs> but it, it is sort of focusing on that where it's instead of just like wallowing in like, you, you know, self-pity, they're sort of rebelling against a society that's demonizing them. Yeah. And I kind of appreciate that view. I don't know. And I feel because what was this movie? 90... 92. 92. Yeah. Bush the first. Oh, was that's in, right. They mentioned president. Bush. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I feel like this is a movie that could be like categorized as like dangerous under different circumstances. Sure. Because they, they talk about killing the president sure. or they talk about giving the president AIDS. We can hold him at gunpoint, inject him with a syringe full of our blood. <laughs> How much you want to bet they'd have a magic cure by tomorrow? But you know they're so right, though. <laughs> that, that, oh, yeah. That scene in this movie, like now, have, since becoming HIV positive, I was like, oh, yeah, that's totally fucking true. If you gave. If you gave HIV to the president, it would, like, tomorrow, they'd be like, oh, here, actually, we have a cure. We've just been sitting on it. <clears throat> feels that, it feels that way anyway. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, 10 years, a lot has changed just in that 10 years. Definitely, yeah. I mean, I know that I'm supposed to, like, clutch my pearls and faint, but, uh, <laughs> you know, now it's like there's, like, medication to, like, keep things relatively normal for you. Yeah, even 10 years ago, they, it was it was, like touch and go mm-hmm. they were like you, you know we'll put you on meds it might be a rough journey after that but now 10 years later it's just like yeah you just have to take these two pills once a day i mean kind of forever but at this moment but like they're changing so fast that it's like now people are talking about you get a shot ev- once every <laughs> well, six i was gonna months. say like if you get on prep that's a pill every day yeah so i mean is really two pills a day that significantly different from taking like a pill a day for prevention yeah and my experiences was like, I was known as what's called a controller, where it was like, uh, it didn't progress very fast in my body. And uh, so they didn't quite feel the need to put me on meds right away. And uh, I still didn't really need to start taking medication. But like the thinking changed from the time I was diagnosed to like last summer when I started taking meds. And it was like, no, we just like get everybody on it because the stress of it being in your body for a long period of time, even if you are a controller is bad. So, I mean... There's all this junk is going on, and I understand that nobody else is paying attention to it because it's really not very interesting unless you have HIV. But it's like, it is important to change the stigma about it because, yeah. like, the mindset is totally different now, you know? Yeah. Like, you can come out as HIV positive, and people are kind of like, you know, NBD, go get your meds, and everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. So that's a far cry from, you know, when this movie came out in 92. Oh, yeah. Did you ever see the movie Jeffrey? It starred. The dude from Wings and the dude from The Practice, neither names do I know. And it also had Patrick Stewart in it. Mm-hmm. And it was like a gay comedy. Okay. But it, it's just about like being gay and single in like 1992. Okay. And it's a lighthearted comedy essentially patrick stewart plays the greatest queen that ever lived <laughs> I, I honestly i thought patrick stewart was gay for the longest time because like he plays gay so well his bff is ian mckellen oh yeah and i just thought that like they hooked up and then just like remained friends like many gay people do sure i mean none that i example. know example one example <laughs> 
So yeah, I just naturally assumed that he was gay, but then like 10 years ago or something, he got married oh, to yeah. like a lady. And I was like, oh, boo. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's just a scene where like the, the our lead character is, it, it looks like, you know, he's like on a date or something like that. And like the guy is asking him, he's like, well, when's the last time you got tested? He's like, oh, well, here's my paperwork from last month. He's like, last month? He's like, here here's my test results from last week. Last week? And he's like, uh, this this is the preliminaries from earlier this afternoon. And the guy goes, do you want this apartment or not? <laughs> but yeah, highly recommended, Jeffrey. It, it is a wonderful, lighthearted romp. Recommended. Cool. As as a alternative to your HIV films out there. Mm-hmm. I think this is a good one too. I think it actually has like funny moments in it. Also, like let me see if I can think of a good example. Well, I mean it's dark humor though. Like Greg Araki's not like slip on a banana peel funny. <laughs> not unless you're watching Smiley Face. <laughs> <laughs> Which in in a while I want you to run down your problems with Smiley Face for me. Okay. Basically what happens in this movie real fast is that we've got Luke and John, both HIV positive. They one, John just found out that day and we can I think we can almost assume that Luke found out that recently too. And uh, they end up hooking up through magical circumstances, I suppose, and then going on just like a spree. Yeah, spree, a sort of like anti-society spree. Yeah, it's sort of like a Bonnie and Clyde, natural born killers sort of thing. Mm -hmm. They feel free from society's rules because they have less time. Usually in these sorts of movies, I try and put my lust on like the Joe every day. But I really could not help but feel super, super attracted to the male prostitute. Luke? Yeah. Yeah. I mean... John John was still attractive. John is cute, but he's such a whiner. <laughs> oh, he's really, he gets really annoying. At, like, at a certain point, I think I even wrote, like, God, long hair is really annoying. <laughs> but... Um, On his chest. <laughs> yeah. That, that guy had, like, a, a forest That's there. That's a sweater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It almost makes it understandable why he would go along with this because Luke is so attractive and masculine and like he's almost like a Tom of Finland drawing of a punk oh, rocker. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Like come to life. Absolutely. And like it, it would be hard not to go along with somebody who looks like this, even though he's a murderer. <laughs> and but he, you he's, know, John- he's very charismatic though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he convinced John to have sex the night he found out he was HIV positive. That's, yes. I know I know. the day I found out, I did not feel sexy. Yeah. <laughs> it was not a sexy night for me. And being 1992, I would, I would imagine it would feel even worse. Yeah. So, I mean, let's just go with it. Good for, good for Luke. Welcome to the club, partner. One thing that I did notice this time around, too, and maybe I always noticed it, was like Greg Araki has no problems with objectifying the male body. That's one of the reasons why I watch his movies. And I mean, it felt really good. It does kind of feel good because we haven't talked about him as a person yet, but he objectifies him, but he still keeps him human. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's important. You can sexualize someone, but you got to give them legs, I guess. Like you got to give them a little bit more. And then for some reason, the objectifying doesn't feel as skeezy, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Pedro Almodovar does that too. Mm-hmm. Like we, he definitely objectifies men. You know, I will always harbor lust for uh, Gael Garcia Bernal. Push-ups. In- <laughs> yeah. Push-ups and short shorts. <laughs> mm. <laughs> 
But I mean, Greg Araki does the same thing. He objectifies like his male leads, but he gives them a humanity. So it doesn't feel quite as icky. And most of the time, his male leads sort of revel in their own sexuality. Sure. Like Luke's a, a hustler. Yeah. He spanks that guy's butt with a, with <laughs> tennis, a tennis racket. racket. Yeah. 15 left. I noticed this time around that he's really informed by gay porn. Mm. Like the way he objectifies them is we see men in ways that you really only see otherwise in porn like when he pulls the shorts down on that dude who's laying oh, on the bed yeah. and all you see is just like his ass in a jock strap it's like well this looks like a porno mm-hmm. you know and there were a couple other times where i was seeing that and i thought like man this is pornography without the gonads you know <laughs> <laughs> with living end in particular i really felt like this feels like a mix of vintage pornography with a 90s indie film mm-hmm. it really had that sort of feel of like like classic when i say classic eroticism like classic in the gay culture which started in 1970 <laughs> <laughs> sure but just like the build of the men and like the sort of like uber masculine john is, is slender but i wouldn't go as far to call him a twink by any means no he's an otter, otter. if anything yeah mm-hmm. I'm, I'm telling you that onion article that uh by 2050, 50% of the animal kingdom is all going to be euphemisms for gay subcultures. <laughs> We're on our way. We got otters, bears, cubs, wolves. Foxes. Silver fox. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pigs. <laughs> yeah, pigs. Pig uh, puppies. Pups, yeah. Pups. Definitely. It's a thing. So I think cats are going to be next. Mm. And then uh, parakeets. I'm sorry, budgies. <laughs> Pufferfish. <laughs> It's just uh <laughs> Remora eels <laughs> Dung beetles <laughs> What are you into, I wonder. I wonder. Oh man, I wonder what the hanky for dung beetle is. <laughs> Have you ever done a hanky? No. Like, one? That's before my time. I used to wear a orange hanky out of my left pocket what's that mean orange is anytime anywhere not necessarily anyone and then left is dominant okay but i only did that because i kept my wallet in my right i see (laughs) otherwise you'd be wearing two hankies yeah basically (laughs) and in seattle nothing really happened like sometimes it was a good conversation starter Uh but like nothing would happen when i went to vancouver like I guess they still kind of adhere, or people know about the hanky coat up oh. there. I got approached several times, Wow. and like one guy, like full on, like Donald Trump me, like, <laughs> <laughs> like hand on, like yeah, my junk, mm-hmm. and like started kissing my neck, and he's like, I live right around the corner. Wow, couldn't stop, help himself, grabbed you by the mussy, <laughs> yeah, like... tic tacs in his mouth. Wow. Luckily, they were orange Tic Tacs, which is my favorite flavor. Yeah, well, that matches your uh, your hanky. <laughs> but yeah, watching it, it really felt like this was like classic vintage pornography, just with a plot. Yeah, which is my favorite type of and pornography. better music. I don't know if you've ever seen any like '80s or '90s gay porn. The music is terrible. Are you talking like, oh, what's that one director, Cardano? Or something. Oh, I don't. I don't know. I'm thinking like Bellamy and shit like that, where it's like there's like these pretty synths and like it's always just the worst. Uh, yeah, I think it's like C A R D I N O T. Okay. And like he really liked his jams. <laughs> like, he pumped up the jams for his soundtrack, <laughs> and like he was big in like late '70s, early '80s or something. But like 
like, oh, you like disco and you want me to like it. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's just you always hear like, oh, here comes the porn music and it's like the wah-wah guitars for mm. like straight porn in the 70s. Brown chicken, brown cow. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and then you start hearing like this music on 80s and 90s gay porn and it's like, this. why don't we get cool music? <laughs> you know? I don't know. For some reason, it's really lame. I'm going to have to find like some some music for us now from those for to drop here so i have an example that'll be a fun research project <laughs> why didn't you get this done i was, I was distracted <laughs> episode 70 of x-ray has been delayed two weeks <laughs> after watching this today or recently and <laughs> and nowhere I realized there's like a signature Gregoraki shot. Okay. That Which is? It ties into this porn thing where it's like a man laying down on his back and then pants getting pulled down. And the pants go pretty much right to where the shaft of the penis would attach to your body. <laughs> I don't know how else to say it, but like it, it was in this movie. It's in Nowhere. It's in Mysterious Skin. I think it's in Kaboom. Like. It's like a signature shot, I feel, at this point. So I went on, like, an Iraqi attack yesterday. Okay. And I wanted to, like, brush up on my Iraqi for this because I was like, it's been a while since I've seen anything. I mean, I definitely watched Kaboom at a game night once uh, not terribly long ago. Uh-huh. Great movie for a drunken gay crowd. I mean, you convinced the gayish guys to watch it. So. I, well, I think just Mike watched it so far. Oh, okay. Uh, but he Kyle, watched it. get on it. <laughs> But I think Mike watched it twice. Okay, see, yeah. And Mysterious Skin was the first Iraqi film I ever watched. Mm. Even though I don't think it's a great film or that it... it I don't want to say that it aged bad because like, I, I think it's the same film now that it was 15 years ago. But I think, you know, I've just kind of aged out of it. Greg Iraqi kind of has like the mentality of like a teenager a little bit. I was uh, thinking that today too. And I think it, that, that mentality just kind of stuck with him. Because a lot of the dialogue in Mysterious Skin, I was like, God, Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's it? pulled from the book, a lot of it. Is it really? I was mm-hmm. like, Some, this just really feels like a 14-year-old girl's diary. <laughs> but when I watched Mysterious Skin, I watched it because uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt played a gay prostitute in it. Right. He, he, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's like two years older than me, I think. He's my age. And like, I grew up watching Third Rock from the Sun and the episode where like he gets a haircut like always like sticks in my mind as like a seminal point in my sexuality. <laughs> There's an inflection point there. <laughs> it's me, Tommy. Well, you can't be Tommy. Tommy looks like a girl. And it's like he makes this movie where he plays a gay prostitute because, you know, A, Joseph Gordon-Levitt kind of likes doing arty shit, but it's like also he was probably kind of eager to like shed his like teen boy pinup. That was his gritty breakout role. Exactly. Mm-hmm. But it was the first movie I ever saw at SIF, the Seattle International Film Festival, and it's like I'm watching this in theaters, and it's like this really dark, moody, gay film. Yeah. Like my exposure to gay cinema at that point was super limited. Like I had seen like maybe a handful of like light, fluffy gay movies. Yeah. But I I hadn't really seen anything like that before. And oh man, it was like. You know, I didn't watch it. It, like, moved through me. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's, like, shows all sorts of skin. You see his butt in that. You know, his his O face near the beginning when he's getting, like, sucked off by that John. It's like his face turns red. And you're like, oh, my God. That's where we get the, the shot I'm talking about. It's like he lays down in that hotel room. And the guy. And Wilford Brimley uh, substitute <laughs> pulls his pants down. Yeah. It's a signature move. And also, like, 
just uh, a certain amount of nihilism, you know, like runs through his movies that I really relate to. The Gen X mentality, like, really suited him well. Yeah. And I mean, like, he's a minority within a minority within a minority because he's also Asian. Mm-hmm. So it's like Asian, gay, and like just not into mainstream gay culture, you know? It's like, he, that is really alienating. Yeah. Even if he wasn't queer, he would still, like, only fit in with, like, the geeks and the misfits and the, yeah. you know, the, the fringe society. Yeah. So. Living End is like, it's not his homosexual movie. He did like a homosexual movie. He did a heterosexual movie. Doom like, Generation? Y- yeah. His heterosexual movie? Yeah, Totally Fucked Up is his, is his homosexual one, I think. And then this is his irresponsible movie. Oh, so okay. So in the title credits, it says an irresponsible movie by Gregoraki. And I kind of like that. It sort of informed my viewing this time around. Because in the past when I've watched this, I really hated the Darcy character, the like best friend of John. Oh, okay. Like I just whenever we'd cut back to her, I'm like, why are we focusing on her? She's so annoying and I don't care about her. Like when she's not wanting to have sex and just wants to smoke a cigarette. Yeah. Or just anything she does. She's, I find her so annoying. I, my thesis is that my or my idea of this movie this time around was that like it's not okay to just pretend like you're this free artist once you get HIV because like you have other people that are living to answer to that care about you Mm, you mm. know and so calling it that irresponsible is like that's what John is suddenly he just suddenly decides like I'm going to be an irresponsible person just because I have this this disease you know Mm -hmm. and that feels really unfair Mm. to to Darcy and I think that like well, I don't know if we should jump all the way to it, but like there's a there's a final scene that's sort of it's a rape scene. Let's just call it what it is. And like Luke's been talking about like offing himself the whole movie and he has a gun in his head while he's raping John. And then in his like his mouth, yeah. Yeah, and he like pulls filleting the barrel. Yeah, and he pulls the trigger when he comes, but like there's no more bullets. That's the moment that he like throws the gun away. And so I kind of have the impression that the gun that he's been carrying this whole time sort of represents, like, I don't know, this nihilistic streak or whatever. But re- realizing you can't be that irresponsible, like, you have to take some responsibility for your life. Okay. Like, you can't just rape somebody, basically. <laughs> what? <laughs> Even if you have... When did this come about? Even if you have HIV, you can't just rape somebody, okay, guys? Uh, I'm going to have to rewrite my whole date playbook. <laughs> and that's kind of what I was thinking this time. It's well, a, I mean, it's a low bar to clear for Luke, but it's like good for him. I mean, Luke sort of has this fascination with death and sex because I just like the shower sex scene where right. John uh, is choking him as he's coming. Right. So is that as good for you as it was for me? <laughs> and I cannot remember the name of the philosopher who like, Wagner was like a big fan of his and he like talked about how like the, the you know the total achievement of ecstasy is like sex and death combined or something. Mm. Heigergard. Kant. No, neither of them. Philosophy majors, now's your chance. Yeah. <laughs> Chime in. But Wagner was a big fan and like informed his you know composition for Tristan and Isolde cuz like they die without having their you know, release mm. in that. And so, like, that's kind of what I thought he was doing, like, because he wanted to kill himself right as he was coming. Right. 
Which, uh, I mean, if you're going to do it, make sure somebody's there. Because <laughs> if you're doing it through autoerotic asphyxiation, that's the only way people are going to remember you. Yeah. You know? John Carradine. I cannot listen Carradine. to an NXS song without thinking like, mm, autoerotic asphyxiation. <laughs> Don't do it, guys. Yeah. Have someone there. Yeah. When Quentin Tarantino was roasted, like mm-hmm. the Comedy Central roast, he was pretty much like a good sport for all of it until people started making Carradine jokes. Oh. And you could tell he was like not into that. That's like. Is it arm crossed frowning? Kind of, yeah. Ooh. You know, just making a sad, muppety face. Mm. Well, I mean, it does. Like, I, now it's difficult to watch Kill Bill because of it. Yeah, I mean, it's too bad because, like, he'd probably been doing it so long that, like, it was just normal to him. Right. But it was news to us. Ugh. Anyway. I don't know if I mentioned before, I guess I haven't mentioned this yet. This movie came to me, like, I was a big Iraqi fan before. This maybe was, like, the third Greg Iraqi movie I've watched. I watched Nowhere first, then The Doom Generation, and I think this one came third. Okay. And uh, this one hit me at a real formative time. Like, I had just moved to Washington for college, and I had an idea of who I was, but it was definitely a time for, like, okay, I I can experiment with who I am and, like, figure it out. So I really took a lot of cues from these characters as to who I was. So, like, for example, when Luke comes into John's house and he has the cigarette and he's like, Say you're going to smoke that thing? I don't smoke. I used to do that at parties <laughs> yeah. in college. Yeah, I'd like ask Because for, of this movie? Because of okay. this movie. It was an affectation I took on, A, to see how people would react, and B, in, like, just the hopes that someone would be like, oh, that's from The Living End. And then I'd be like, oh, my God, we're getting married tomorrow. Because, <laughs> uh, you know, that's like how you define yourself when you're younger right but like that's kind of how i define myself now <laughs> someone gets like an in joke from like an obscure movie i'm like my pants are dropping and i'm gonna put a ring on it yeah I, w- I was just hoping no one ever got it of course but like you know it got some interesting reactions also the bladder the size of a seedless grape i still say that okay i gotta pee what again you must have a bladder the size of a seedless grape why seedless because the seed Adds volume. See, yes, seeded grapes are bigger. <laughs> Maybe I'm not a grapeologist, so <laughs> grapeologist, chime in. Uh, it's a good picture, though. Yeah, no, definitely Dude, illustrates it well. I did. I mean, I liked the campy, murderous lesbian scene. Oh yeah. So what's your name? Sexy slab of buff beefcake. Luke. Luke. Doesn't that rhyme with pew? Is it bad that I thought one of those lesbians was a dude? Like the one doing all the talking? I was like, that, that's a guy in drag, right? She's <laughs> got like a, I don't know, Kathleen Turner vibe going on. Their names are like Fern and some other flower, I think. Oh, okay. Like Fern and Violet or something. I don't know. Plants. Women. I'm not a bi- botanist. <laughs> I'm not a plantologist. <laughs> I'm not a femaleologist either, clearly. <laughs> Okay, so this is just like another... I feel like I'm a Gregoraki apologist this, so far this whole time. Sometimes you kind of have to be, I feel, because <laughs> Living End's not like a super-duper movie. It's not, but I mean, I can make an argument for it as a good movie. I'm still super jazzed that it, it exists, because like unlike the movies of, say, like A Bruce LeBruce, yeah. which Gregoraki, I feel like those two could have gone to like the same high school, because they make... 
like philosophically similar movies. But Greg Rackies are way more entertaining. Oh, a hundred percent. And th- not that it's like better acting because both have pretty shitty acting in them. I mean, Bruce LeBruce, I think has like more hardcore scenes in it. And like, I think that's really where the differences end. Maybe. Yeah. But I mean, Bruce LeBruce movies have that like, you know, Raspberry Reich, like the nihilistic skinhead thing. And Greg Rackies got that in his movies too. But Greg Araki actually seemed to at least attempt to make like an actual film and not just long form plotted <laughs> pornography. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard because his movies in general, especially his 90s movies, I guess I'll probably put the cutoff around Splendor. But like his movies in general. From Terrible the, movie. From the 90s. That's why we didn't put it on the wheel. Yeah. Uh, from like, yeah, from about like Living End to Nowhere really speak to me. Like, I, and it's so hard step out of that for me so i do feel like an apologist a lot of times because i've shown some of these movies to people and they're like uh-huh yeah and you're like i know but i mean they're like, really this they're, is me you know they're like, not for everybody but i feel like if if greg Araki went to my high school like we would have been buddies we see eye to eye like he might not be like a truly like virtuoso filmmaker but the movies he's making i'm really glad exist because like in a way, they kind of are dangerous films. Like, they're very rebellious films. And they're not bad. They're definitely never boring. No. Let's say that. Like, he does a great job of varying up shots. Mm-hmm. Like, it's to varying degrees of effect. But at least you're not watching the same shot over and over again that you've seen, you know, in mm-hmm. various movies. And also, he's good at very... He's good at... uh, what, What's the word? Um, Production design. Mm-hmm. Like... Everything you see in the shot is thoughtfully placed and has a significance. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, his musical taste really informs his movies. And so that is something that feels fresh and different. Is named after what was it? A ride album. Ride, yeah. Yeah. And this movie's named after Jesus and Mary Chain song. Yeah. So it's like there's that level too. Yeah, his taste in music is much more akin to mine, like he was on the shoegaze bandwagon before shoegaze was even a term. Totally, yeah. Uh, I mean, Jesus and Mary Chain. And, like, when you watch, like, so I watched four of his movies yesterday. He really likes that type of sound. Oh, yeah. He returns to it over and over and again. And even, like, up through, like, uh, White Bird in a Blizzard, he's still got the same type of taste in music. Totally. Like Harold Budd, I think, did the score to, like, White Bird in a Blizzard. Yeah. And, you know, and Mysterious Game. And Mysterious too. Game, yeah. yeah. And it, it has that, like, you know, shoegazy, electronic, experimental thing to it. And that's, he's liked it since 1992, I guess, at yeah. the very least. Yeah. I mean, I you get the impression that he was listening to this stuff in the 80s. Yeah. And then just used that as the soundtrack because that's what he related to. And that's another thing I was ta- when I was talking about earlier. I was like, I can't really tell how much of this movie I picked up as an affectation and then just like absorbed and how much I was already... Of my of my personality was being reaffirmed by watching the movie like i went on a huge kmfdm kick which i was already into before watching this kill movie. motherfucking depeche mode yeah <laughs> but then watching this movie i went on a like a real di- a deep dive you know so it's sort of like i don't know it's 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 hard for me to really see where i end and this movie's influence on me begins yeah I think if I had seen his, well, I mean, Mysterious Skin definitely had had that impact on me. But like, if I had been like four or five years older and like maybe seen like Nowhere when it like came out initially, yeah, we'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> I have so much to say. Well, because 
I mean, even like the the music that he does put in his films, like I still like Jesus and Mary Chain. Same here. I like Nine Inch Nails, and that's like all over his Same movies too. Here, yeah. So his taste in music is is pretty like on par with stuff that like I still consider to be genuinely good music. Yeah. Which is weird because usually like I'm pretty quick to turn on music. Like I'll like look back at stuff I like you know five years ago and be like, oh well, that was garbage. Clearly, I wasn't. My taste hadn't matured enough. Yeah. But like the idea that like when he was, you know, he was probably what, 24, 25 when he was making these movies around that? Mm-hmm. Maybe like, closer to 30. Yeah, he's like 60 something now. 60? Or almost 50? Fuck, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't write it down. I looked it up. He was born in like 69 or something. Okay. Yeah. And th- I mean, that like speaks to, as someone who was always into different music than others in, in general, not just like gays. But like someone who was listening to to different stuff than everybody else in my high school, et cetera, it was like this is this speaks to me suddenly. It's like oh my god, I'm not alone, you know. And I can't stress enough how important that was for me. It just you watch this constant stream of crummy gay movies and just like and then just like even straight movies, you know. And you're just like none of this is me. And then suddenly you see something that comes close to who you are. And you're like, holy shit. Well, I don't remember if this was on or off mic when we were talking about this, but I recently watched like Queer as Folk in its entirety. Yeah. Despite the fact that it was like unwatchable for like three (laughs) seasons. Uh That's how thirsty we are for representation in media. It's like we will put up with garbage just to see ourselves on screen. Yeah. And so like when you see even just like a small sliver of you represented remotely accurately. That's a thrill. That's such a significant moment in your life to see that sort of thing. And I think with mysterious skin, cause like Joseph Gordon Levitt played like a moody teenager. Like he was, you know, I think he was like 23 in real life, but he was playing a 19 year old. He looked 19. Yeah. And like, I was 19 when I saw it. Like that's like the type of like thing that you really identify with and really latch on to. Yeah. Well, should we take a quick break, or do you have any final thoughts on Living End? Oh, let me just check. Oh, I have a question for you. Is this a big question? Why not? <laughs> have you ever received or given Roadhead? I've received it, yes. So I was driving up Denny. Uh, Matt! That's a busy street. It was late at night. Super thrilling. Highly recommended. No, there's just like the adrenaline of it. Like that really works for me. What about you? Yes, to both. Oh, okay. One time a cop was following me while <gasps> I was giving it. Yeah. Oh, God, that sounds so hot. Driving home from a bar. I was a little drunk. Okay. Not recommended, people. Yeah, and the cop was following us while I was getting roadhead, and it was just... Oh, my God. I would nut so hard. <laughs> It was stressful, but very, very thrilling. I mean, my cover would be blown because there'd be liquids flying out of the vehicle. <laughs> you're too, the cop you're... would be like, what's the water balloon fight going on in there? <laughs> Woo, better pull him over. <laughs> you're, you're turning on the back windshield wiper, trying to get it off. They're like, hmm, that's, not, that's not removing any of that liquid. Are you cooking s'mores in here? <laughs> They've like got the, sp- the flashlight. What happened in here? <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it would look I like, shook a milk and it exploded. It would 
<laughs> it would look like a white version of <laughs> in Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, man. No, it was hot. I'd do it again if I still drove. Yeah. Kind of want to get a car just so I can do it. <laughs> Join Zipcar. <laughs> Let's see if we can get a Zipcar sponsorship just for this. <laughs> hey, Matt, ever had a craving for Roadhead but don't have a car? <laughs> All the time? Well, here's a convenient solution. <laughs> it's Zipcar. Put in the hashtag Wazoo. <laughs> The most convenient way to get roadhead. Zip car. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh. Okay, yeah. I'm ready. Let's take a break. All right, let's take a break. Come back. Yeah. Matt, Ryan, for the record, yes, I don't think the living end should end with Cheryl Lynn. It's got to be real. <laughs> um, feel like that would really take me out of that beautiful moment at the end there. It is sort of a, a nice little moment. Like, a, it's shot really well. I kind of like the shot of like how their faces are with the gun in his mouth. I'm like, this is well done. Good job, Greg. Mm. But like the beautiful, while well, they're sitting on the beach together and the sun's setting and it looks looks really good. But yeah. just, uh, I feel like that would take me out a minute there. Matt, what are we drinking? I don't think we've even talked about this yet. Uh, well, I don't know why you're asking because you know. It was your suggestion. In light of the nihilistic movies that we're reviewing today, I made kamikazes. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually had a kamikaze before. Uh huh. So it's a new experience for me. I even had to ask where Triple Sec was at the liquor store. Did they give you a strange look, or do you think they get it a lot? She knew right where it was, so they must get it a fair amount. Mm. Or she just drinks straight Triple Sec at home. Which seems gross. Yeah. <laughs> also, Triple Sec is super cheap. It was $7, and I bought the best one. <laughs> Like, there was a cheaper brand, and I was like, I'm a little afraid of how cheap that is. I mean, you could go, like, Grand Marnier if you really wanted to get something fancy. Could you? Is that a reliable yeah. substitute? Well, I think, well, Triple Sec is just an orange-flavored sugary liqueur. So could I use Cointreau? Yeah, why not? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, like, when you get, like, a Cadillac margarita... Um, which is like, you know, tequila, lime juice, and triple sec, more or less. Mm -hmm. If you get a Cadillac one, you get like a call tequila and then like either Grand Marnier or Cointreau. Uh, for our listenership, Ryan was just shimmying his shoulders. <laughs> you know, yeah. fancy. I don't, I don't know why shaking. It's like, it's like sitting across the couch from Carmen Miranda. <laughs> That's not counting that my fruit on my head, the bananas, <laughs> the apples, the oranges. Well, that's just par for the course with Ryan. Yeah. That's that's my Monday hat. The lady in the tutti frutti hat. So, what are the ingredients of a kamikaze? Kamikaze, uh, as a cocktail, which is how we're having it, and I guess as a shot too. Why not? It's just equal parts vodka, triple sec, and lime juice. Very easy to make. Very easy to make. And you know what? If you want to be fancy and make it a Cosmo, you just put a little splash of cranberry in there. 
Suddenly you're drinking a Cosmo. Wow. I know. You mean we could be sex in the cité over here? Yeah. You're like one step away from being sex in the cité. I do have uh, cranberry juice. Boom. I'm fine with this. Yeah. This feels more accurate. Cosmopolitan seems... It seems inappropriate we'll, for... We'll save it for Cosmopolis. <laughs> I'm ready to talk about nowhere, but I need to let you know that this is the... First of all, this is the fewest notes I've ever taken. Oh. Watching it, I was like, I can recite this movie back and forth. Really? Yeah. Because the dialogue in this movie is fucking bonkers. <laughs> I'm way more curious about your impressions than telling you what this movie means to me and everything. Of the two movies we watch, I like this one the most. Mm-hmm. This movie is sort of hard to talk about. A, it doesn't have like a strong narrative. There's not like a hard and fast plot. Okay. Like stuff happens and like, you know, one thing happens, which leads to another thing, but it's like, it's not really important to the fabric of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like there's aliens in it for some reason. Right. I don't know why. Lots of characters all sort of moving around. This had a huge ensemble cast of like people like just before they got famous yeah bc grade hollywood celebrities at that time bc grade and yeah then, like they all kind of jumped up uh ryan Philippi when he was just a little twink oh my god with his girlfriend of heather graham oh my god mina suvari who looks like a baby in this it's disturbing there's a part where she makes out with that guy and this time around it was like that's like watching 12 year olds make out it's really uncomfortable oh strawberry there's also the uh (laughs) it's where heather's jawbreaker and charmed all meet up in that right like, we've talked about that <laughs> hydra of like women like this the siren songs of rose mcgowan shan doherty and then tracy, tracy lords <laughs> it's magic which they're only in it for that one scene but what a magical scene <laughs> oh my god Gigi Fritz parties tonight and i have no clue who to go with what about jason i'm going with jason well, then I'll go with Tomas. I thought you were going with Tomas. Tomas has a dinky weenie. You did Tomas? Ew, I'm sure. Gross. I thought Jason was doing Tomas. Jason's doing that Valley Sleckle Eileen Schwartzkopf. Untrue. Says who? Eileen. And you believe her? Hello. She lives in Whittier. Let's see. I love the dialogue. He, Greg Araki wrote and directed this movie. Mm-hmm. He really captures the, like... In every scene, he captures, like, the essence of those characters. Mm-hmm. And, like, he captures, like, the vapidity, vapidness. Yeah. I'm going to go with vapidity. Okay. <laughs> of, like, the sort of valley girl, like, high school, super selfish, just self-absorbed airhead girl. Uh-huh. But it's, like, the way that he shoots it, I'm, like, looking at their retainers so much. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, and they still... then... And then they get shot by that alien, and the only thing that's left is their retainers. It's like, good job, Greg Araki. <laughs> I totally paid attention to those retainers. It's brilliant, yeah. But I've expressed my love for Rose McGowan previously, uh, way back in episode 20 when we reviewed Jawbreaker. 50 episodes ago. God. <laughs> it's a love, and especially now that like the Me Too movement and like the Time's Up thing, and like she's like the patron saint of that movement. She's at the center of it, yeah. I really like... It warms my heart that, like, she's getting, like, recognition again. Because I do think that she's a good actress. And I think that... I just feel like she's a fun person, too. 
I want to see her in more movies. I, you know, and this just, is coming off of you watched the Doom Generation as well, which I is, did, which is a great great role for her. She's a lot of fun in that. She she has a lot more to do in that, definitely. Yeah, but I mean, it's fun to have sort of like a cameo in this. Yeah, I guess you could call it. But um, yeah, yeah. And then we get Shannon Doherty in there who. Rose McGowan was in Jawbreaker, Shannon Doherty was in Heathers, and we reviewed those two movies because they were very similar. Uh-huh. And then they both happened to be in this, and then, of course, they went on to be in Charmed together. Yeah. I think we made that connection on the podcast. I don't remember if I kept it or not, but... Uh, if we did, I don't think it would have meant much to me because I hadn't seen this movie that's yet. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then it also has Tracy Lords, who adult film star Tracy Lords, known best for only making one adult feature after she was 18 and it was made on her 18th birthday if i have my trivia correct but i feel like tracy lords is a good actress sure like she had a recurring role in roseanne the original series right she was a waitress in the little loose meat shot that they had going on that's right uh but i've seen her in other movies uh, you know, John Waters had her in Crybaby. I saw her in like in a Stephen King movie. I think it was The Langoliers. No, Tommy Knockers. It was terrible, but she was actually pretty good in it. Okay. So yeah, they're just playing like this, like Hydra of like catty female high school bitches, essentially, a la Heather's or Jawbreaker. Yeah. Uh, but then an alien. Comes and zaps them away. And all that's left is their retainers. Mm -hmm. Not entirely sure what the significance of the alien is, but... It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I'm glad to hear that you liked it. It was a a lot of fun. Like, it's it's hard for me to like a movie that I do kind of feel is pointless. But then I'm like, it's a movie called Nowhere. Isn't it supposed to be kind of pointless? I feel like this movie is more nihilistic than the... You know, two HIV positive gays going on like a crime spree. <laughs> well, like, what is it? Fucking Elvis and whatever the name of the girl that he's dating are like making Alyssa. out on like a copy of like some Nietzsche book. Like, yeah. <laughs> hey, Elvis, do you believe in God? I don't believe in anything. Uh, you have to believe in something. No, I don't. Real fast, this is my first Greg Rack movie I ever saw. I was the perfect age and target for it okay like i mentioned before i felt out of place was struggling to find any representation that actually represented me i was pretty freshly out of the closet i'd say about mm, a year nine months to a year out of the closet okay and and what year like or how old were you i guess i was 18 oh okay and so oh, oh so this was also introduced to me via my best friend tiffany but she was introduced to it via the friend who made us watch all those lame lesbian movies including bound okay and so this was one she pulled in i remember being a little skeptical but my best friend tiffany assured me she's like no this one's actually good okay and i was like okay I'll, I'll watch it and i got and i was stoned in 1998 or 99 in colorado as a teenager so i did something illegal so what <laughs> anyway it was like the perfect storm to watch this movie you know just like all those factors in together knowing nothing about it and just really feeling it the whole way through it just i don't know it's like it sparked something in me and like this sort of gets into the question i had before with the living in where i was like i don't know how much of this movie like i saw myself in it and how much of it like formed what was to become of ryan (laughs) after watching it you know i don't know it's formative i guess is my point i mean Part of me wishes that I would have seen this back when I was a gay bee, mm-hmm. because I know that I would have just attached myself to it 
completely. Yeah. Like I watch it now and I'm I'm pretty I'm I'm a curmudgeon already at this point. <laughs> but it, this kind of chips away at like the the curmudgeon exterior of me because I feel nostalgic for my youth when I watch it even though I this is the first time I've ever seen it. Yeah. I look at them like this is what the 90s were to me. Like when I look at this movie, it's like looking at a time capsule. This is how I saw the world at this time. Just catty bitches and like gay men that I couldn't have sex with. <laughs> and it's like, let's see, how, how do I put this? So it takes place in a world that's not real. Like it's it's a very like surreal, like kind of funhouse mirror world. And so there's a lot of things that don't completely make sense, but you're able to forgive it because it feels like this bizarro world too you know what i mean it has that like nostalgic feel and feels real in that way but it's also like unreal enough that you can separate yourself from it yeah it's a little like cartoony mm-hmm. a little bit like yeah i mean funhouse would be a, a good way to describe it it's it's, it's an, an exaggerated reality yeah i mean it's exaggerated to just you know highlight the small details or the minutia of reality I also like that it's a teenage movie. It's part of his teenage angst trilogy or whatever you want to call uh, it. 90210 on acid trilogy. Sure. But, and like rather than have, you know, like in, in another movie, in a different movie like this, the the party scene would be like midway through and that's when like act two ends or something. This movie ends at the party scene. Juji Fruits party. Juji Fruits party. And I love that like the goal of all of these characters is to get to Juji Fruits. Like they've been talking about the whole movie. We finally get there. That's act three. Like the structure of it is, I don't know. It works for me in that way. It takes place over one day, I guess, now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, like he wakes up in the morning. Taking a shower. Oh my God, the credit sequence. Opening credit sequence is... Of of James Duvall jacking it in the shower. It's a slow dive. It's so good. So uh, I I feel like I don't need to ask, but uh, James Duvall, hit it or quit it. Hit. (laughs) Yeah. No, like 100%. I mean... God, after Chris O'Donnell, it's probably James Duvall in my sexual Really? Awakening. Yeah, it was That just... high up the ladder. Watching this movie did something to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because then, like six months later, or maybe even less than that, I started dating someone who kind of looked like James Duvall. Oh, good job. And he was like my first boyfriend. So, oh, wow. Yeah, it was. It informed me, for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, James Duvall, I, I feel like, because he was in Doom Generation 2, I kind of feel mm-hmm. like he was like the... Iraqi proxy a little bit. Yeah. Uh, vaguely Asian looking. He's also supposed to be the audience proxy, I think, in this movie. I think so, too, because he's sort of struggling, like, in his fantasies while he's jacking it. It's, like, him and his girlfriend, but, like, what really gets him going is, like, thinking about dudes. Yeah, and it's weird because it's not, like, sex with dudes. It's, like, having a loving relationship with a dude. Yeah. You know, like, the other two women fantasies he's having... One is like an S&M situation where it's two girls like tying him up and twisting his nipples, et cetera. And the other one is him like being dominated in a sexy thing with Rachel True, who went on to go to the craft. And oh, yeah. that's about it, I think. Yeah, all right. If we're talking about 90s stars, so this has a Debbie Mazar in it. Yeah. And I watched this. I was like, God, she's basically playing. Spice. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally thought it too. But she was playing the white one in here, like the sugar role, wasn't she? Yeah, and the, and the name of that there is It's like, like Chris and something. Chris and Cozy, which is the yeah. Throbbing Gristle spinoff. So, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's a band no one cares about. I know. I feel like he who shall not be named watched this movie. <laughs> And I was like, I want these characters in uh, my 1996 movie. Same year. Yeah. They were both 97. So. But I really feel like Debbie Mazar played essentially like the, the the same but opposite, like the flip side of the coin role. Yeah. And She's like, I'm versatile. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, when they were twisting his nipples and like they ripped off the, the rings, oh. I was like, oh, I can't, I can't do that. That's not Bart. Oh, yeah, that's Bart. Bart uh, gets his nipple rings pulled out, yeah. one via pliers and one via teeth. Yeah. They like, and then she like makes out with him with it in her mouth, and it's like you can see a little piece of his nipple flesh on it. It's pretty gross. Ugh. I, so we've talked about opening credit sequences really putting you in the mood for the movie, and I feel like this is a good one. Well, because they have the names that just sort of float in mm-hmm. and out of the screen. Blue which, words floating over white screen. Which really matches the movie. Like, characters just kind of come in and out. There's yeah. not really a logical endpoint for a lot of them, or yeah. they don't have a, a whole arc to their story. They just kind of come in for a scene, and then they leave. Christina Applegate is in this movie. And watching it this time, I think Dingbat was my favorite character. Oh, yeah. Because she's able to do the ecstasy and play kick the can. She's able to go and skip class and have, you know, scarf fest with her lady friends. But she's also going to class and everyone wants to borrow her notes and gets tutored by her. So it's like, she's making it work. All this in those heavy braces. I love her. She's great. She's got that cute kitten t-shirt. Like, Oh, yeah. She's my I favorite. I did like the scarf fest that the ladies have. <laughs> okay, ladies. Scarf. How many times have you seen this movie? Oh, I don't even know. It's got to be in the like upper, upper teens. Really? Yeah, I've seen it so many times. Wow. I I really do love this movie. It's one of my favorites. Huh. That said, I mean she's 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 also got clearly eating disorders, which is such a '90s thing. I feel like eating disorders. Yeah. I feel like we heard a lot about it. I mean, I'm sure it still goes on. Right. It's not like it was a. A trendy uh, <laughs> problem. But, but I mean, like, the, the sort of heroin chic look, you know, was decidedly 90s. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, that also that's a scene that also introduces us to Egg, yeah. the flower <laughs> girl. And the toilet that she does throw up in afterwards is a black toilet. And I'm curious, Matt, how you feel about black toilets. I really have no opinion on that. Uh, do they hold my waist as properly as a white toilet? I'm asking you. (laughs) I mean, granted, I know that in black toilets, I can't get the same visual uh, as I can in a white toilet. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) But honestly, I'm okay without the visual. Sometimes I like to know the color of my pee, and you can't notice it in a black toilet. What color are you expecting your pee to be? I mean... Are you trying to make sure that it's not chartreuse or like, <laughs> what, what, like green? My like, doctor gave me this card and it's got like a varying grade scale. It goes from violet to uh, indigo. <laughs> indigo. I'm sorry. I said that wrong. I don't know. I like the only color I'm worried about is red. And I think I see that on the way out or at the very least feel it. Um, 
no. Once my urine's out of me, I basically don't care about it anymore. Huh. You never pee and it's dark yellow and you're like, wow, I got to drink more water. I think I know I need to drink more water before I pee. Mm, okay. You're in that in tune with your body. I don't think you need to be that in tune. <laughs> I think if you're thirsty, you know. But uh, I don't, this so is I, a, that the, doesn't matter. The, I, the the uh, the feeling I'm getting here is that you have an opinion on black toilets. I think they're beautiful, but I don't think it's worth the cost of not knowing what color my pee is. Wow. All right, all right. No, I, I know. <laughs> no, all right. So a- you get a blue toilet. <laughs> And when your pee looks green, you know you're good. <laughs> but if it looks purple, then you know you're bad. Yellow and blue make green, red and blue. Yeah, there. That now we're talking. So okay. So like green or perhaps another yellow toilet. That I can compare it to. Like I should yeah. have a healthy pea colored toilet. It, yeah. And when I pee and it's a different color than what is shown right. there, Ideally, then I know. your pee should camouflage into the toilet. It should look completely clear. Right. You but should if- look in and be like, oh, it's an empty basin. <laughs> yeah. But if suddenly there's a color there, then I know. X-rated. Once again, raising the discourse of potting for everyone. <laughs> did, I'm sorry. Did you say pottying? <laughs> <sighs> okay, black toilets. That's what got us off the marker. I'm so sorry about that. I loved. Okay, so any adult in this movie was like a sitcom TV star. Did you notice that? Like Beverly Beverly D'Angelo in her like green night mask. Totally. Open up this mother hubbing door. No. Charlotte Ray as the fortune teller. Death. Cool. David Leisure as uh. Ducky and Egg's dad. Did you think the name Ducky was in reference to 16 Candles? Oh, could have been. Because i that's how I, I thought it was like, he wanted to, uh, Greg Araki wanted to put something in that was like, this is a, also a teen movie, but it's teens that I knew, not yeah. your suburban white middle class teens. Sure. I don't know. It was just like a quick little thing that made me think that like, this was his 16 candles his intro is so perfect he's like the the skater dude he like shows up to he like skates up to Alyssa and dingbat hey Jackie hi Jackie I just woke up and you can tell the dingbat gets a little excited she's like oh <laughs> so of the guys in this movie so there's a number of hot pieces in this no why don't you rank down your top three okay are we going based on looks alone or like you can, personality? Whatever you want, whatever you want. Free form. Let's put Dark at the top. Okay. Even though he's moody. James Duvall. James Duvall, yeah. Dark. Yeah, he's, he's moody. He's kind of annoying. Uh, a little clingy, but like cute. And I could see myself spending time with him. Seems fun. <laughs> hey. um, although he has the thing that was also in The Living End where they have like video journals or audio journals where it's like, I can barely stand the sound of my own voice making this podcast. Yeah. (laughs) I can't imagine that as your journal. Anyway, let's put him at the top. Just seems obvious. Number two, I mean, I'm just going to go with Nathan Bexton, the the love interest, the redhead with the curly hair. Oh yeah, he was cute. He was cute. With the the two different colored eyes. Yeah, David Bowie style. Why can't I remember his name? 
doesn't matter. It'll come to me. And then I'd probably go with Guillermo Diaz. Oh, okay, okay. The uh, cowboy, the the one with fag tattooed on his on his yeah. hand. I remember seeing that and thinking like, someday I'll be able to do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do. I have a pink triangle tattooed on my thumb, but um, do you not really? Quite the same. Yeah, it's faded a lot, but it glows under black light. Does it still glow well? Yeah. Oh. And actually, on cloudy days. When this like UV rays are coming through, it really pops. Oh, okay. So yeah. Uh, how about you? Honestly, even though he's not typically my type, I'm gonna put Elvis as number one. Oh. He's a little bit too uh, buff and muscular for my usual type, but there was something about when he was getting uh, tied up and spanked mm. that really did it for me. That's the pants scene, the pants pulling down yeah, scene. Yeah. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the the. Signature Gregoraki shot. There, there was something about that, and I was like, "No, I am, I am on Team Elvis right now. <laughs> like he has superseded all the other guys in this movie." Spank my hot, tight, rock hard ass. Number two would probably have to be a uh, uh, Diaz's boyfriend, the Lane Staley looking motherfucker. Oh yeah, um, Bart. Even though he was totally strung out the whole time, yeah. whose parents are uh, Brady children. Oh, they are? Yeah, they were the middle Brady children. Oh. <laughs> on the Brady Bunch. Wow, I did not notice that in the slightest. I know, crazy, huh? There was something about it, I was like, nope, I'm on board with that. And then number three, I'm going to have to go dark, James Duvall's character. The vaguely ethnic, detached, despondent teen. Also, very much in my wheelhouse. <laughs> hmm. Long hair. I mean, maybe not the teen part, but the rest of it. <laughs> not into Nathan Bexton, huh? Montgomery, there it is. Oh, he was definitely cute. Given the opportunity, I would hit that, but yeah. uh, no, I wouldn't put him in my top three. Okay, fair enough. I actually was am kind of attracted to Handjob, the drug dealer with oh. the green hair. Yeah, not personality wise, but looks wise, it's like who who is she? Who is that? <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, this movie kind of invites that that sort of like let's just kind of objectify everybody a little bit. Yeah, n- neither of us picked Ryan Philippi. I I know, and I'm not sad about. Okay, real fast, I got a question for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you see his butt a little bit in it too. When like like a little crack, like there's like a part where like he's like making out with uh oh Heather right. Graham, oh, yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. like you you get like top fourth of his butt. I remember that. Yeah, he at one point he and Heather Graham are making out at Lover's Point or whatever in his convertible, and he takes a piece of chocolate. And um, puts it in her vajay and eats her out. Asking for yeast infection? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I just love the milk chocolatey goodness. It's A, disgusting, because he gets it all over his face. It's a real... Yeah, when he comes up from that, I mean, it basically looks like he was just eating melted chocolate, like, out of a wrapper or something. (laughs) Which... I'm like, was he like rubbing his cheeks like <laughs> against his against her clit or something? Like, I don't. I've never eaten out a woman. I don't know the mechanics of it, but it looked like more chocolate got on him than in him. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. I, I like definitely question mark there. They go straight to the party after that too. It's like, honey, <laughs> you gotta clean that out. That's just not. I'm not pro foods and sex, like mixed together, like. Especially chocolate, like, because it gets sticky real quick. How do you feel about live prawns and hot sauce on your tummy? <laughs> well, if they did it in Tampopo, that means that, that you know, it, it, it was for real. It's okay. So. Yeah, okay. 
But like anything sugary just gets sticky and like when you're having sex, like you don't want friction. Right. And you especially don't want friction like in your genitals or in or on your genitals. Should he have pulled out a bottle of like Trader Joe's olive oil or something? (laughs) (laughs) I feel like people have used olive oil in a pinch for lubricant. Oh, of course. I mean, if Last Tango in Paris has taught me anything, people use butter. Sure. Any oil will work. But I just feel like chocolate, sugar, it's just asking for a yeast infection. Mm -hmm. Especially how messily he was eating it. I feel like it'd be a problematic cleaning experience it really grossed me out you'd have to douche and i guess you're not actually supposed to douche ladies have any of you ever put chocolate in your fuzz fuzz muppet well yeah they they have some fun terms for vagina in this movie i think i took some of them down (laughs) oh 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 what's your favorite was it get the maggots out of your oyster? Yeah. Look my box, brother. Clean the maggots out of it first, you stinky oyster. You guys. Or fur burger. Fur burger. <laughs> yeah, Dark and Lucifer's uh, volley back and forth of insults is pretty entertaining. The dialogue in, in this movie is pretty choice altogether. It's very specialized and doesn't feel realistic in no, a lot of ways no but um it matches the sort of cartoon funhouse mirror universe that this movie takes place yeah. in though it's sort of like has the wit and cadence of say like a kevin smith but somehow feels real whereas his feels so writerly and stilted i will defend kevin smith for clerks and then yeah. maybe dogma Speaking of dialogue, there's a line that I wrote down from this because I thought it was really choice. It's at the end after Montgomery has come into Dark's room after being abducted and he's laying with him. And, you know, Montgomery's not sure what his relationship is with uh, Mel is exactly. And he's sort of like, I know you and Mel are like, whatever. Whatever is right. She's all, you know. It's like, was that written? <laughs> or was that That's like, all like one improv. long take too, is like when they're like cuddling there in bed. Yeah. That's just like a, a two shot of like them kinda lying there, getting close and Yeah. It's kinda hot too. Oh, I loved it, yeah. And it comes after an extremely violent moment, which I talked about this on the Schizopolis episode, how like violence in the nineties always felt kind of sudden and shocking and a little over the top like this the the violent scene in this movie feels like kind of overkill you know we see like handjob's head getting slammed against the counter for a long period of time yeah and then we see his head getting bashed in by a soup can for longer than maybe should be and it just feels like that was how that was acceptable in the 90s like violence in that way I don't know. Felt, it was always sudden, and it was always prolonged. I mean, Greg Araki, I feel, did have sort of a fascination with violent movies. I mean, this movie has a rape scene just like The Living End. Uh, All, like, I can think of several movies with rape scenes now that I think about it. Mysterious Skin is a theme. Oh, yeah. Doom Generation has a rape scene. Like, yeah. They're, it's kind of a theme of his. Yeah, and like just violence in general, because like Doom Generation has like the 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 last scene with like the dong cutting and like the shears being stabbed and various people. 
Mysterious Skin definitely has like the rape scene, and he's like raped and beaten during it. Yeah. I also found that a common thread in Iraqi films is aliens. Yeah. Because there's aliens in Kaboom, uh, when they blow up the planet. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Mysterious Skin, but then there's aliens in Nowhere as well. Like yeah. there's the the lizard looking dude that shoots people and disintegrates them. Yeah. Well, I was thinking at least I can speak to the violence maybe a little bit. And it, it struck me during The Living End when the tennis player guy gets stabbed by his wife when she comes home and sees him in bed with somebody. It's not the 70s anymore when being married to a bisexual was fashionable. It feels a little out of place at first. But then when you think about it, it's sort of like there is sort of this pervasive fear of violence being a gay an out gay person especially in 92 and like even in 97 where it's like today i I was gonna say i know people who've been bashed yeah so there's like this there is like this ingrained fear in us or at least like heightened awareness of your surroundings because there is this threat of violence constantly against you and watching it this time the rape scene in nowhere is you know perpetrated on a woman and so it's like there's almost that same equation almost of like well like this is how women move through the world and like we we both like as minorities who aren't part of the patriarchy have a fear of violence like there are we are in constantly in spaces where we don't feel safe we don't have quite the same level of threat against us as say women do yeah, like, yeah, yeah. That's coming out like every corner and every dark alley. I know, I know, I know. But it's like we have it more than just say the average male. Gay men, you'll hear rape and sexual violence, but you don't really hear it from straight men outside the movie Disclosure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Michael Crichton. <laughs> I love one of my favorite lines from this movie is um, when the when Zero and Mina Suvari's character get carjacked and by the Atari gang. And he goes, Please, it's my mom. She'll kill me. Well, tell her that the Atari say, thanks for the bitchin' wheels, bitch. Ha <laughs> <laughs> like, ha! Oh, classic. It's so good. Yeah, the, the dialogue in this is solid. I mean, the movie doesn't make a lot of sense. It, I mean, really, I think if you, if you watch it really sort of unaware of the time and place that this was made, you're just going to think this is a bunch of random shit happening. Yeah, and it made it hard for me to feel like I could recommend this movie because it's like, to me, it really speaks to who I am. But it's like, I, I it's difficult to imagine coming into this as an outsider and being like, what the fuck? Yeah, because like I really enjoyed it, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't know how many times I can watch it. But, and that's why I wish that I would have seen it when I was like sixteen. Because it would have been such an important film for me if I was that age. It is integral to my being, and uh, I think it's because I saw it at the perfect time. I mean, Mysterious Skin filled that void. Because Mysterious Skin turned into like what was like my type of movie for a long time. Like that dark, like emotionally harrowing sort of journey. Mm-hmm. But I kind of wish I'd seen something like fun like this, too, that also spoke to me. Maybe I wouldn't have wasted all my time on like dour emotional dramas and i would have like picked up some like fun prankster art along the way <laughs> i mean this is this came out a year after in and out which was a big like 
mainstream oh, gay God, movie. God, yeah. That's what people, or like the Birdcage, I think, was around this time too, where you're sort of, and I'm not 96, maligning. I think, yeah. yeah. And I'm not maligning either of those movies. They're both totally fine. Well, that would mean The Bound came out this year too. Yeah. Because Bound came out the same year as The Birdcage. Yeah, so that was 96, and okay. this was 97. Oh, okay. And like, those are all good movies. I mean, and Bound is a great movie. Let's not, let's be honest. But like, as far as finding something in the culture that I related to, this was the only thing. This I, was the first one that I'd saw, I'd seen. There was like, this is me. I think it's important to to, to sort of reiterate how unwoke a time the '90s were. Mm-hmm. It's like we think back of on the '90s fairly fondly because it's like booming economy and like a Democrat, a Democrat is for the president. president. <laughs> but like realistically like they were still like very socially conservative times newt gingrich was the speaker of the house they spit on a picture of him in this movie they do yeah yeah because he's was it bill clinton somebody said that newt gingrich is a dumb person's idea of what a smart person is like (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, put that on his gravestone And I, I think it was Bill Clinton talking about Newt Gingrich. I'm not totally positive. Like, I, I, this is just off the top of my head. But Greg Araki movies, like the 90s ones in particular, really felt like an act of rebellion. And it's like when you don't feel comfortable in society and you see a genuinely rebellious movie, like, that's exciting. Yeah. Like, you cling to that. Yeah. And... With Greg Araki in particular, it's like, I just, his brand of rebellion is something, like, I'm on board with. Even if the movies aren't great, like, I still, I like the goals that he's aiming for. Yeah, and it's, it's hard to defend him. Like I said, I feel like an apologist because, you know. Hey, we, we've narrowed down, like, his 11 movies to five for that (laughs) wheel. I think you've said it better than I can at this point where it's like, yeah, his specific type of queer rebellion Fits my personal feeling of queer rebellion, and, and it works. Like Pedro Almodovar makes great movies, but for the most part, I don't think he really makes like the movies don't feel like queer outsider movies because like a lot of his movies take place like in show business. Mm-hmm. Like they they feel like not like rich Spaniards or, or something like making them, but I don't know. With with Greg Araki movies, it really feels like these are the. It, it's a movie made by someone that like society is pushed to the edge, to the fringe of things. His movies feel more contra heteronormative. Like, yeah, it's like a stance. Whereas like Pedro Almodovar movies feel like heteronormativity is totally fine. We just don't exist within it. Yeah, like like it's not saying that this is we are being anti that. Whereas Gregoraki movies are like we are consciously making a decision to not be like you yeah and that, that's a good way to put it because like bruce LeBruce is that way but his movies suck yeah <laughs> uh and like kenneth anger was like that too but his movies also aren't really that great like like his movies are short movies so you can like kind of power through them but at the same time like i would much rather watch like greg iraqi's brand of rebellion and and like prankster art mm-hmm. than watch a kenneth anger like short film marathon right which i obviously greg Iraqi has been informed by that. Yeah, definitely, but, definitely. But um, yeah, he 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 manages to to put in that secret ingredient that like I think really you know crystallizes everything we like on this podcast, which is entertainment value. It's really makes a movie, especially one that's aiming for like artiness. Mm-hmm. Like if you can infuse a little entertainment into it, 
it it just it makes a huge difference yeah there's a line from doom generation that i really feel speaks to being uh queer in a heteronormative world mm-hmm. uh james duvall says uh and i don't even remember what he's referring to but he's like i feel like a gerbil suffocating richard Gere's butthole <laughs> <laughs> and like when you're when you're queer in an otherwise heteronormative society whether it's like even a big city uh or a small town or a suburb or wherever but like not having like a sense of place or a sense of community feels that way. Yeah. You know, like I I went to a high school that had like a gay straight alliance, but like the other like uh gay people that are in it were like too queer. Like they were too like stereotypically gay for me at the time. Like now like I don't care. You're like, or, let's like, hang out. <laughs> yeah. But like at the time, I was like, "Oh no, no, I'm not like that. I'm more like this Nine Inch Nails fan over here." Yeah, and that's what Greg Arakan movies were. It's it 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 really didn't matter if you were like queer or straight or whatever. It was more about like what you were, like were into non sexually speaking, right? Than what you were into sexually. And it's like if you were queer on top of it, well, there were other queers there too. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It's refreshing, and it's good to know that there's movies out there that really have that mindset in mind. Totally. Matt. Yes. We have a new season coming up. O M F G. We have finished hard art and now we are entering into a new stage and I would like you to introduce that to us. Well, next season, I'm the Dom. <laughs> I got the odd numbers. That means I got the most episodes this season. Mhm. So, uh, I'm the capital D, you're the little S. And uh this season, I'm doing all erotic thrillers. <laughs> I knew it. This was so. <laughs> I had. I was thinking, what are some of the genres Matt has hinted at in the past? Mm-hmm. And erotic thrillers was near the top of the list. So I can't believe you have five oh, to showcase. And I it. had to fucking narrow it down. <laughs> like this, this was like f- hard fought five that I've I've chosen here. I'm super excited to, to I'm, find out. I'm starting us off with a classic. Okay. Episode 71, Basic Instincts. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. I cannot wait. Oh, my God. I'm really excited. I want to wet our beak with, with something well-known, and we are going to get into the fucking nitty-gritty, the dirty and disgusting. <laughs> this is Erotic Thriller 101, and I <laughs> <Yeah>. can't wait. <laughs> I haven't seen Basic Instinct in years and years and years. I don't know how it's oh, aged. at least 15 years. But we haven't done a Verhoeven, and I I, I love erotic thrillers. I'm, I've been sitting on this season for so long. Just a slow slide down, sit down. Mm. <laughs> wow. I am erotically thrilled to talk about this. <laughs> Basic Instinct. Can this podcast handle it? We'll find out. In two weeks, two after our break. Week. Two weeks, two. That's a Total Recall reference. <laughs> He's got Verhoeven on the mind now. No, no, I can't stop thinking about him. 
So yeah, be here. Episode seventy one, Basic Instinct. Let's plug our junk and get the fuck out of here. Yes. Go to our new website, xratedmovies.com. You can get all the newest and latest and greatest season guides, episodes, quick and dirties. We've also got a Twitter account in which you can tweet at us. It is at xratedmovies. Also, our email account is another way to contact us, x.rated.movies at gmail.com. And if you do anything, rate, review, and then maybe subscribe... (laughs) Really, those first two are the important ones on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play. Stitcher. Wherever you get your podcasts, just mm. slap us five stars. We really appreciate the people that do that, and we pre-appreciate the people who haven't done yet but will yeah. after hearing this. <laughs> and uh, like us on Facebook, at Rated X Movies, mm-hmm. uh, and find out what's new and what's happening. That's where uh, all the previews are coming up. All right. Join us in two weeks for Basic Instinct. Bye. Bye.